awesome tonight. We're 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 uh, we're actually getting started a little earlier than normal. All right, so we're going to continue maybe another week or two. I've got a couple of things more. We've been looking at these things that are not so. I think that would be the way th- I would say it. Things that aren't so. So things people believe, things that we say. And a lot of times it's Christians that say these things. And uh, so I'm still open. If you've got something, you go, well, I've heard this. Could we study that out? So here's the one that we're going to look at tonight. Y'all have all heard this, okay? Money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard people say that quote right there? I'm amazed at how many times we, 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 we hear scriptures that are, that are twisted. And there's, I don't think it's unintentional. I think it's very intentional, at least from the enemy's side, uh, the Satan's side, to, to twist scripture. So money is the root of all evil. Well, let's look at the verse first because, I mean, all I got to do is read the verse and you see that this is a misquoted verse. But there's a lot of implications that come with that, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And it's talking about folks that were, were professing believers who have have gone away is what Paul's talking about there. They've strayed from the faith in their greediness. So that all right there ought to give us caution when it, when it comes to money. And, and you know, it's not about money itself, and we'll, we'll get in that. Uh, this, this phrase is often used to warn people against the evils of, of, of obsessive materialism and greed. That, that, that's the warning, and I think it's a legitimate warning. However, Paul admonishes Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6.10 here to be weary wary of the love of money. It's the love of money that's the problem. And, it, and, and it's the love of money which is the root of, of all kinds of evil. Paul says that, that you know, there are some that have been drawn away from the faith. And uh, so as it, as it seems to go in Scripture, the issue is the motive and the affections of the person rather than the object uh, of said affection. So it's not that, that money is, is the problem. It's our desire for money. And we could look at that in any number of things, right? What, what's something out there that, that, that would be in the right context there's nothing sinful about, but it's in the wrong context or in the wrong lust? Give me some, some ideas, something else. Any ideas? Car? Could be, yeah. I mean, that could fall right into that. That uh, that could be a pride issue, right? That there's a lot of different things that can motivate that. I mean, if you, what's that? Food. Food. You'll come to my house. <laughs> I, I don't think I deserve it, and I certainly can't afford it. So. Um, uh, yeah, food could, be, well, there's another thing to food too, another way of looking at that. So food is, food is something we have to have, right? It's something we have to have, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, be gluttons. And I think that's a sin, that's the silent sin in America, in American Christianity. That's one of the silent sins. Look, we got a whole lot of sins that are becoming these silent sins that we just turn our, turn our eyes to, um, we don't have any children in here, but I don't, I, it's in scripture. Who created sex? No. The, Lord. the Lord created sex. 
and, and there, in, in, in the context that God gave sex in, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the lust of people's hearts who want to have sex outside of marriage. That's, that's one of those, those secret sins today, one of the, the, the quiet sins that we've become, I think, all too tolerant of that. Even the appearance of that, folks, we shouldn't even give that appearance. Um, sex before marriage, sex outside of the bonds of marriage. And today, it's not, even, it's not even an issue. You're like, today, well, man, I'd just be grateful if we find out it's a man and a woman. You know, that is, it's kind of where we're at. You know, well, at least it was that. No, it's all, it's all we want to make some sins worse in the area of, of, of the, what's the word? The word's fornication. All sexual sin falls under that. And, and, you know, there's certain sins that we go, oh, that grosses me out. Oh, yeah, it grosses me out. But it all should gross us out if, it, if, if it's sin, if it's outside of God. So God gave sex and marriage, but if we go outside of that, it becomes, it's wrong. All right. Same way with money, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm, I'm going to back up and just continue on. Uh, I want to look at a few verses, just a few here that give us an idea of this. So Luke 16, 14 says, Now the Pharisees who were what? Lovers of money. Lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. They were lovers of money. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Okay, it, it didn't say you shouldn't have money. Didn't, I mean, the scriptures don't even say someone shouldn't have wealth or any of that. We'll get to that but not greedy for money. Greedy is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Uh, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Tim, uh, Titus 1.7, in the same vein here, says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.2, For men will be lovers, is speaking of really pointing to, to today, we see, we see what is a result of sin, but we see this today, what is going on today. For men will be lovers of themselves. We see that today, amen? Lovers of money, okay? So lovers of money, greedy, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. We see those, that list there. That's it. So loving, loving money is the problem. It's a, it's a heart issue, okay? So money's not good or bad, and being wealthy is not a sin. Anybody think of any... There were some guys in Scripture very wealthy. Job was a very wealthy man. You go back and look at that. Job was a very wealthy man. And yet, God described him this way. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. So, do you get the idea that Job was a, a, a greedy lustful for money guy. He was a wealthy man. He had a lot, but he didn't have, it was not a problem. It had not become a problem for him. Loving money, which is the Greek word avarice, and, 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 and it implies an emotional affection and is the root of all sorts of evil as the desire to accumulate wealth is placed above God. That becomes the problem. Chasing money, desiring to acquire money, these things that that become, they become an idol in our life. There's something that if, if, we, if we love that more than God, and I don't care what it is, right? 
shared this, uh, talking about this Sunday, past Sunday, I think. But I want to love God more than I love Gina. And the fact is, the truth is, when we, when we understand this, she wants me to love God more than I love her. Because if I love her more than I love God, then our relationship is, is out of whack. It's, not, it's out of balance. It's not the way God has designed it. And so then, though I may, if, if now I've created, I've made her an idol in my life because I've put her ahead of God in my life. And, and now that, that's out of whack. I'm not going to love her the way I should love her. I'm not going to love her the right way. Does that make sense? So we got to keep those things in, in right context. So it, 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 with money, it's, it's, the Bible speaks a lot about money. The Bible speaks more about money than a lot of other things that you would think. I think it speaks more about money than it does love, more than, than heaven. The Bible talks a lot about money. Bible gives us some great instruction on how to handle our money and the things to do with our money to prepare for the future and, and, and things like that. But we're not to grow greedy. We're not to put that above our relationship with Christ. So again, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root. It's not the root of all evil, but is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Now, this verse is often misquoted, as, as I've already said, money, as that, that money is the root of all evil. So in that, in, in that, when you quote it that way, money is substituted for the love of money. So now we've changed, we've changed the problem. The, the problem now is not the love of money. When we misquote that, we've made the problem is money, as though money is the act, act, absolute, it's the problem, it's causing that. And, and, and then the root of all evil is substituted for a, a root of all kinds of evil. Um, these changes, while subtle, have an enormous impact on the meaning of the verse. The misquoted version, money is the root of all evil, makes money and wealth the source or root of all evil in the world. That's exactly what the ver verse says. And that's not, we know that's not the truth. We know that's not, so... Um, that's a clearly a false statement. So the Bible makes it, it quite clear that sin is the root of all evil in the world. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So the, 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 the sin is the problem. Matthew uh, or Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as... Through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, Sin is the, the issue, James 1.15. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? To sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin always brings forth death. But the problem is not an inanimate object, Any, the, the, a dollar is, it would, is no more moral or immoral than, than this book is. It, you know, the book is a book. This piano is it's amoral. It's not immoral. It's not, it, 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 the piano itself, it can be used for good. It can be used for bad. Uh, it, can, it can play satanic music or it can play God-honoring music. The piano itself is, it is not the problem. It's what we do with it. It's the heart behind it. So when we look at the actual verse, we see that it is the love of money, not money itself, that is a source of all kinds of evil and trouble. Money is amoral. 
Wealth is morally neutral. There is nothing wrong with money in and of itself or the possession of money. However, when money begins to control us, that's when trouble starts. Uh, to have wealth is not the problem. There are, there are people, I know people who have lots of money and they walk close with the Lord. The money's, money's not the idol. And I know folks who don't have two nickels to rub together and there's the greed for money that consumes them and, and it, 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 it is an idol uh, that they would put above the Lord. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. So with that said, let's consider this question. Why is the love of money a root, a root of all kinds of evil? Why is that? Why is that? The verse says it very clearly. So why is it the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil? So to help us answer this, we've got to look at the passage in its context. So near the end of the letter here in 1 Timothy, we get to chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 2 through 10. If you're there, you can, we'll go back to verse 2. And we're going to read through this and see some of the things that Paul's saying here. Verse 2 then says, And those who have, be, have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. And he says then that the last part of the verse right here in verse 2 says, teach and exhort these things. So Paul is exhorting Timothy regarding the need to teach and exhort these things to his congregation. And what are these things? And what he's doing here, he's referring to back to earlier material in the book. He's written five chapters at that point. Now he comes to this and he's telling Timothy, exhort, teach and absorb all these things that I've given you, all these things I've shared with you here. You take, take those things and you teach them to the church. Paul then warns Timothy about false teachers who will seek to warp and pervert the, the uh, content of sound doctrine for their own greedy gain. Verses 3 through 5, we see this. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with God, uh, godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useful wranglings, I'm, I'm sorry, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose, listen, now here's the problem. These, these false prophets, these men coming in for gain, whatever, how they're, they're misusing um, the scriptures and misusing the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they, their minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness is a means of gain from which withdraw yourself. And he, so what, what Paul tells Timothy right there is these men who are coming in, they're, they're doing this for gain. They're, whatever it is they're doing in the realm of, of teaching or whatever, and, they're, and they're, they're perverting the scriptures, they're doing this, 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 they suppose godliness is a means of gain. Do we see any of that today in our culture in America? We, we could name a few names, right? There's a whole, the whole prosperity gospel movement is off that right there. There's, there's the men who are um, flying around in million dollar airplanes, jetting around the country, uh, and, then, and getting on TV and begging people to send them money. Send them money, send them money. Well, how much, how much do you need? You know, how much do you need? And it's, it's greediness, this Godliness is a means. If you've ever listened to those, is Patrick back there? Patrick's not back there. Um, 
the American Gospel. I think that's the name of the, the documentary. If, how many of you have seen that, the American Gospel? If you haven't seen that, you can go. It may be on Netflix. It may be. I don't know if it's on any of the, any of the TV subscriptions, movie subscriptions or shows or whatever. But you can search it. If not, we probably ought to get a copy. We may actually have a copy in the back. I need to get a copy of that. So you need to watch that because it really exposes the prosperity gospel and the lies of that and the twisting of Scripture. And Paul tells Timothy here, he says, from such, withdraw yourself. Don't even be a part of those people. Don't, be, don't, don't associate with them. Get away from that. Now notice that the apostle says at the end of verse 5 again, suppose that, they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. These false teachers do what they do for the, for the fame and notoriety they achieve along with the financial reward it brings. And, and that's where, listen, it's, we would think that that's something new today, and yet it's not new. They, Paul was writing about it in the New Testament, about folks who are trying to profit off of, off of faith, off of, of our faith, and it, and it should make us sick. Paul wants to steer Timothy away from that trap, and in so doing, he tells him the real source uh, uh, of great gain. Verse 6. Now here's what he says. These are, these are men who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And Paul says in verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is a, in a biblical sense is the recognition that we come into the world with nothing and that everything we have is a gift from God's hand. Amen? Amen. Everything we have. Everything we have. You know, I've said this... Uh, we're so rich in America, we don't even, we don't even understand how wealthy we are. Uh, how many of you have ever been outside of America? Okay, how many of you have ever been to a, a country that would be considered, uh, you know, third world is not necessarily poverty. It has to do more with, doesn't that have to do with like World War, after World War II, the way things were broke up or whatever. But when, when you get into countries that are, I saw a lot of hands that went up. John, you've been over to China. I know you've seen great poverty there. Uh, Howard, where have you been? Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in our hemisphere. Uh, Honduras is the second poorest, or at least it was five, six, eight years ago. Uh, I've been to Honduras many times, and, and you see people that live, live in their shanty shacks, lean-tos, uh, that are built, on, on, built at the dump. And there's rivers that run through, these little rivers and streams of water that run through the dump, and the water looks like it's glowing. It, it's, I, and these people live right there on that. And they don't, they don't have anything. And the fact is, if you're, a, if you're the poorest of the poor in America, you're among the richest people in the world. Among the richest in the world. I've been to Tajikistan, and we go out in these, these villages that, that when you go out there, you, you, you think you've gone back to the 1920s, 1930s. The tractors, that they, what few tractors they have are really old. They're from a, a, an earlier day in communism, and they're living in that communist collectives in those, in those they don't have running, they have running water for about three hours a day. They have electricity for five hours a day. They, they have no indoor plumbing or indoor water. They have outhouses like we, you know, I don't know how far we got to go back to see that in America. But that's the way these people live on, some of them living on $3, 3 4 $5 a year is their income. Uh, we're, we're, we're a blessed people. And everything that we have is a gift from the Lord. 
And I think, too, we, we kind of get to this place where, I don't know, maybe, maybe in America we think we deserve it. Maybe we feel like, you know, as American Christians, you know, we're just blessed and highly favored, and we are blessed and highly favored. But folks, we've we got to not forget that God blesses us to bless others. Amen? I, I, it's one of the things I love about this church is, is the generosity of this church. Um, when, when, you, when you look at our size congregation and you look at what we're giving in mission giving, and on top of what we give from our regular budget to mission giving, I think there was about 45000 that was committed this coming year to our faith promise. Right now, we're, we figured it up this afternoon, this morning maybe. We're giving away right now $2,200 a month to missionaries above what we do with the with the, the local association and the Florida Baptist uh, Florida Baptist Convention, so we have a we have a, a very generous church. Anytime there's needs that come up, you people are givers, and um, you know what? That's we're getting it right. If we're doing that, we're getting it. We're understanding that God's not blessing us just to bless us. He is blessing us. There's a reason. And John Reynolds was preaching during the mission thing, talking about you know. Your hand, keeping your hand open. When you, when you start clutching, where's he going to put it? Well, if your hand's open, God, God can trust to get it through you, then, then he, he can get it to you. Amen? And I, I love that our church is, is a giving church, and we need to, we need to continue to more, we, we need to continue to grow in that area and, and embrace that and understanding, man, the, the blessing is not so that, you know, I can drive the, the Lamborghini when a Pinto, well, a Pinto wouldn't be, there's not a Pinto running in the world. <laughs> but when a Nissan, when a black Nissan will do just as well. Amen. Verse 7 says, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. That's certain. Amen. You may, you may get, you may get your, uh, your Cadillac hauled behind you. You might even get buried in your Cadillac, but you ain't carrying it with you because your body's going to still be here and you're going to be somewhere else. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Food and clothing, we shall be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we can learn, and there's some folks in our church that don't have a lot. Man, I love it when I'm talking to them and they're just praising God for everything. Praising God. They're just appreciative and they see everything as a gift from the Lord. And we ought to all be there all the time. Those who desire to be rich, example, like those who uh, have the love of money, are the ones who are led into temptation and fall into a snare. We see that in verse 9. Paul says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And Paul concludes the passage by telling Timothy that the love of money leads to all sorts of evil, of sin and evil. Again, verse 10, for the love of money, it's the love of money is root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with sorrows. So if we simply reflect on this, this principle, we realize that this is true. We, we have the scripture there, we understand it, but when you think about that, it just you, all you have to do is look around a little bit and you see the truth of that working out in life. Greed causes people to do all sorts of things they wouldn't normally do. Amen? Watch any, any movie. Most of your, you know, some of the 
great action movies are all about a bank robbery. You know, the Italian job, or, or I don't know, I'm trying to think, just things that pop in my head. Um, uh, Oceans, the Oceans movies, all about stealing from a casino. It's all about stealing. So you watch any number of TV courtroom dramas, and, and the crime uh, under consideration is usually motivated by jealousy or greed or both. Inevitably, it's going to be about a relationship. It's going to be about money, greed or, 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 or a jealousy. The love of money motivates people to lie, steal, cheat, gamble, embezzle, and even murder for the love of money. People who have a, a love for money lack the godliness and contentment that is true gain in God's eyes. But the Bible makes an even stronger statement about the love of money. What we have discussed thus far simply describes the horizontal level of the love of money. So what we're talking about here, these things that, that, that I do that I maybe wouldn't have normally done, but because greed drives me, if I steal, I'm stealing, I'm stealing from, if I steal from you. Or, or if, I, if I lie, I've lied to you. If I've cheat, I've cheated, I've cheated someone out there. If I gamble or if I embezzle from someone or, or, or if I take it as far to murder, that's here. That's sin here. That's, it's still sin against God, but it's sin against mankind. And it's a horizontal thing. Um, in other words, we have, we have only mentioned how the love of money can lead one to commit greater sins against his fellow man. But the Bible makes quite clear that all sin is ultimately sin against who? Against God. All of our sin. All sin. Now, while I may sin against you, ultimately the sin is against God. Psalm 51.4. Against thee, thee only, David talking to the Lord here, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Um, you know, David understood his sin. And when he confessed his sin and, and he got right with God, he, can, he acknowledged that his sin was sin against God. Now, it, it acted out and it hurt others and you need to make those things right. But our sin is sin against God. We need to consider the vertical dimension of the love of money. So we, we've looked at the horizontal, but we need to consider the, the vertical part of that too. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, word for money, it's a word for treasure, it's a word for riches. So you can't love God and love, and, and love those things, that, that money, riches, treasure. Uh, this verse comes at the end of the passage in which Jesus tells us, going back up to verse 19 and 20, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here Jesus compares the love of money to idolatry. As if we, if we, if we, again, if we put this love that we have for money above the Lord, now it's become an idol in our life. Anything that we put above the Lord is. And he says, he also says here, he refers to money as a master that we serve at the expense of serving God. You, if, if, if you have this love for money, you, you can't serve God and serve money. If, you're, if it's about money, then that's who you're going to serve. 
And folks, that's where we have to be careful. We have to be careful with jobs that we're not. It's not just become about it, we, we've got a responsibility to provide and all that. But it can easily move over into an obsession to make as much as, as, as I can and never being content with that. I got to make all I can. I'm stealing from Gina because I'm not there with her. I'm stealing from my kids. I'm not spending time with them. Uh, there's some in our church that recently made changes that that were Ben an example Ben back here. I think he did okay with his financial transition, but it was all motivated because his work was stealing time. Work was stealing time from his family. And so he made, so he made a lifestyle adjustment in that. And I praise you, man, for that. I think that's fantastic. I commend you for, for doing that. So we can't serve two masters. We're commanded by God to have no other gods before the, one, the only true and living God, the first commandment. Anything that takes first place in our lives other than, than our creator God is an idol and makes us guilty of breaking that first commandment. So that's a terrible way to start is to break the first commandment. It's the first thing you've done. So Jesus had much to say about wealth. His most memorable conversation about money is the, his encounter with the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. You can look at verses uh, 16 through 30. We won't read that, but you can go back and read that later. But he has that conversation, and the young man asks Jesus what he, he must do to obtain eternal life. You know, what must I do? And Jesus tells him to follow the commandments. And so th this young, rich young ruler, this rich young man, he tells Jesus that he's done all that. And Jesus tests his ability to obey the first command and tells him to sell all his possessions and give to the poor and follow him. And what's his response? Who can tell me what his response was? What does the scripture say? He went away. He's sad or disappointed or grieved or something. I don't remember exactly the word. But the idea is he's talking to the Lord. Oh, Lord, how can I, how, what must I do? And the Lord gives him, he didn't list all of the, the, the commandments, but he lists these commandments to him. And he goes, well, oh, I've done that. I've kept all of them all my life. And he says, all right, we're going to find out where you're at. So. Go now and sell all that you have and give it away to the poor and come follow me. Now, he's talking to God Almighty. He may not realize that. We, we realize that looking back. But he came to the right person. He, he's, he, he, it's not exactly the right question because the wrong question is, we, we've got this in our mind, what must I do? What must I do? And folks, you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. There's nothing you can do. It is by faith. When you understand your lostness and we confess our sin, we repent of our sin and we call on the name of Jesus by faith, placing our faith in Jesus, that's, how, that's salvation. That's how salvation comes. It's nothing that we do. But we love the what must I do. That's what, what we want, right? So you know, I've said it this way. There are some folks that they go, all right, preacher, what, what have I got to do? What have I got to do? Go, just tell me what I got to do to get to heaven. Because we want it on us. I can control that. And, and uh, you know, if I said, all right, well, you know what? I, I read in a book somewhere that if, you'll, if you run, if you run, a, if you run a, a thousand miles, you run a thousand miles and you do three million push-ups, then you can get into heaven. The, the, the people will take to that extreme where they're going to they're gonna start. They're going to be running. They're going to be doing these push-ups. They'll kill themselves to try to do what they cannot do in order to in, in, inherit eternal life. When it's simple, just put your faith in Christ. Amen? So he tells the rich young ruler, he says, well, I've done all that. He says, well, go sell all that you have. 
And his response was that he, that he, that he you know, it's, he didn't like the answer. I, I, I could buy it. If I could buy it, that would work. But you want me to give everything away. You want me to give away my well-being, my, my prosperity. You want me to give all of that away, everything, sell everything I have and give it to the poor and come follow you. And you know what? Wouldn't it have been great if, if, if we'd have read that he went and sold all that he had and gave it away and came and followed the Lord and he was a disciple from there. That would be a great story, but he didn't. He turned away and he was, he was sad. He was disappointed. He was discouraged, whatever, whatever it is. He wasn't happy about it and he shouldn't have been. He, he just walked away from, from Christ from the opportunity of eternal life there. Now, right after this encounter, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this in Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Have any of everybody, when you hear that, that eye of a needle, it's harder for a, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You ever heard that said, it's the eye, actually the eye of a needle, like camel going through the eye of a needle? You've probably heard that right. I don't know that that's the, I don't know that that's the proper context. I was watching something one day. And I've actually read about this, but have you, if you've ever seen walls in some of the ancient cities and they have a big archway, and then what do they have in, inside that archway? They have a smaller door, and that is called, they, as I understand, that's called the eye of the needle. And so the idea is it would be easier to get a camel through that little bitty door, that eye of the needle. Um, and the reason I think that context makes more sense is because let me ask you this. Can a rich man be saved? Yes. Absolutely. But if you're going to tell me you're going to stick a camel through the eye of an actual like sewing needle, you're not putting a camel through there unless you grind him up real small. <laughs> and I don't know how you still don't know how you're going to get him through there. But that, that, that to me says that's impossible, but that's not what God says. So I think there's a different context to that. The fact is the camel would be, have to be unloaded it would have to get down like on its knees. I mean, to get the camel through that smaller door would be, it would be near impossible. You'd be like, man, that's a, that's a hard, hard feat. It's easier to do that than it is for a rich person to go to heaven. But he didn't say it was impossible. He didn't say that a rich person couldn't go to heaven. But I would say this. How many of you, how many of you know someone who's very, that's lost, that's very wealthy, and you have a hard time ever talking to them about the Lord? The problem, right, the problem is, Howard, what's, what's the real problem there with getting to them? They still have the greed of money. They have a greed of money, absolutely. They have greed of money. They have a love for money. What, what's, what's another? They don't have the need. Who said that? That's good. They don't have the need. If I've got everything I need, if I've got all the money I could ever spend, I think I can buy all the, everything I need. I don't, I don't have a need. I don't need anything. You know, coming to Christ, we really got to, you, you come to the end of yourself, the end of you trying to do it your way. And for a lot of times for folks who have a lot of money, 
They don't, they don't sense a need. I'm good. I'm good. I got everything I need. And you don't. Man, I, I watch. The older I get, and I start seeing these guys that were heroes, you know, in movies and stuff when I was, when I was younger, and they're dying off. And some of them, you know, you hear the stories of their lives, and you go, man, it's sad because, I mean, I'll, give you, I'll give you one. This encourages me. Um, I always liked uh, Steve McQueen. He's like Steve McQueen. Anybody like Steve McQueen? I like Steve McQueen. Well, I heard Steve McQueen got right with God before he died. That, incur- that thrills my heart. You know, you, you, you want to you get to heaven and see these people. You want to, you know, you want to see them. I don't want to get there and they not be there. I don't want to get there and some of you not be there. I hope y'all don't want to get there and I'm not there. You know, we, we, we... Jesus say, is saying that wealth is one of the biggest obstacles to coming to faith in Christ. The reason is obvious wealth becomes a slave master in our lives and drives us to all sorts of things that drive us further and further away from God. Self-reliance, self-dependence. Um, pursuing more and more and more. Uh, no matter what I have, Ted Turner, uh, Ted Turner being in Atlanta, and we lived up that way. We knew some people that knew Ted Turner, and folks would try to witness Ted Turner, and Ted Turner didn't want anything to do with God. And he, he was never content. He was never happy with what he had. And no matter how many millions he had, when he had CNN, he had TBS, and the, the, the Superstation, and the Bray, all that, and he had all that money, and the story went that someone asked him one time, said, well, what, Ted, what's it going to take to make you happy? He said, another million. I need, I need another million. So no matter how many millions he had, it wasn't going to be enough because the money was the, the problem. So the good news is in Matthew 19, verse 25 and 26, says, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? They're hearing this going, who, then, who, who can be saved if, if that's the case? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. So we should never give up on somebody. We should, regardless of what we think the situation is, uh, we should never give up on anybody. Don't say that person can't be reached. Some of you sitting in this room probably thought at one time you couldn't be reached. There's probably some in here that you, you, you thought, you know, I can't. God can't reach me. I, you just don't know what I've done. There are some people that I know. I, we had a conversation today about some that are connected to our church who think they're, they're too sinful, maybe, to come to church. Well, I can't come to church. God would never accept me. That's a lie right there at a pit of hell that is designed to do one thing, to keep them from ever coming to church and hearing the gospel clearly, and responding by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Satan's, Satan's work. It's his work. And um, that's why we don't give up on anybody. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't know who God's going to save. We don't know when you're going to share truth to somebody, and it's going to, you know, we sowed all these seed at VBS. We didn't, listen, we didn't give a, a hard evangelistic uh, call to these little kids, because it's real easy to talk those little kids into making a decision. What we want to do is sow, sow the seeds and, uh, and the truth into their hearts and their lives. And you know what happens is God begins to speak to them. They're going to ask questions. They're going to say, Preacher, what does that mean? Mom, Dad, what does this mean? Why, how do you know when you're saved? Or how do you know how to get saved? They start asking those questions because they're understanding it and they've heard it. And that's what we want to do, sow the seed. But you never know when you're going to share the gospel with someone 
I've shared the gospel with dying people in the hospital. Shake their head to everything I said. Yep, yep, yep. Come time to, for them to respond. They go, nope, I'm not making a rash decision. And break my heart. I've talked to other people sharing the gospel and thought, they're not even listening to me. And get to the end and they say, I need to be saved. I'm, I'm lost. I know I'm lost. I need to be saved. And get on their face right before God right there. Pray. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Continue to share the gospel. Continue to witness. Continue to, to just love on people and, um, and give them truth. Speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, look, we're early. I'm done. <clears throat> Y'all didn't know it was possible. I'm done tonight. So uh, why, don't we do, why don't we do this?